1: Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. On today's podcast we'll be talking about the biggest transfer so far in this window, also bringing news on Liverpool making their moves, as well as news from Arsenal, West Ham, Manchester United, and of course a little bit of news around Europe as well. I'm Ian McGarry, and as always, Duncan is with me for the Transfer Window podcast. Let's start, Duncan, at uh, Tottenham Hotspur, where it seems there is a mood of celebration at the second coming of the prodigal son, Mr Gareth Bale, who flew in Uh, to London on Daniel Levy's own jet. Very impressive, Daniel. Uh, We like that. Perhaps the transfer window might be able to borrow it for annual holiday. And uh, also, of course, the expected sighting of Real Madrid left-back Sergio Reguillon. Duncan, this, on the face of it, looks like a bit of a triumph for Daniel Levy and for Spurs. However, a closer analysis... I think we'd have to ask a couple of key questions here. Um, First of all, on Bale, um, is he a player that Spurs actually need? And given his lack of game time in the last 6 to 12 months, as well as uh, his age at 31 and the cost of the wages and loan fee, etc., do we think he's going to be worth it? And then, secondly, with Reguillon, he will become the fifth left-back in the Spurs squad uh, why does any club lead five left-backs? So please, um, on Bale, as I said uh, before, you broke the story uh, in terms of the agreement. What do we make of where Bale will fit in? And probably, what's Jose Mourinho going to do in terms of fitting him in, given that he's quite uh, load- overloaded with wingers as it is?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's right to say it's changed the atmosphere amongst around Tottenham. Um, the deal kind of came from nowhere, Gareth Bale was made available, was offered to Tottenham and uh, Daniel Levy, and this is a Daniel Levy deal, took the opportunity and brought him to the club. And you, you see what they've gone from an environment where we're talking about making do in this transfer market, limited funds, um, how do they keep up with the competition to one where, Gareth Bale's return is being celebrated. Tottenham have secured one of the biggest names in world football on a very large salary, albeit half of it will be paid by Real Madrid. And they've taken a left back who's regarded as one of the top left backs in Europe last season, very important to Sevilla's Europa League winning team had been offered to Manchester United, so had been in the the transfer window discussion agenda being linked with top clubs in England and suddenly he's at Tottenham. So it looks like everything has changed. Um, the argument now is that Tottenham should be competitors because they've got these two players in. But I think your question is a good one. It's um, <sighs> If you are in a market where you are struggling to rebalance the squad, and that has been what Mourinho has said time and time again through the summer, that the squad needed to be rebalanced, that it needed investment, and he was working to get players in in the right places. Why do you sign a winger when that's one of the areas in the team that you're rich, uh, they stalked with? Why do you sign an attacking left back when, as you say, he becomes the fifth left back in your squad. Okay, Danny Rose is on the way out, hasn't been given a squad number, but they haven't actually shifted them out yet. Um, You're signing an attacking left back when last summer you signed Ryan Sessegnon um, as one of the top attacking left backs in English football as a development player, who Mourinho um, and Pochettino before him struggled to fit into the side. In fact, Mourinho has talked about how he doesn't really see Sessegnon as a left-back and more as as an attacking uh, winger at present. You've got a youngster, Dennis Serkin, 18, who's had some games and is quite highly rated at Tottenham in that squad. And then you've got Ben Davis, who's actually the only player who fits into Mourinho's tactical system he used last season, which was to have an attacking right-back uh, in possession, who immediately moved up alongside the forwards to give um, extra width on the right hand side and have your left back drop in beside the two centre backs to create a three in attack. There's a system quite a few um, clubs and managers have been using in the Premier League lately. Um, Mourinho wants to continue with that. It's going to be quite hard to get Sergio Regulon, who is attacking not particularly big, not set up to be an auxiliary centre-back to fit into it. Um, So what has Mourinho said about it? Well, he was asked about Bale before um, their Europa League game this week, in which they were pretty fortunate to get through um, with the Romanian opponents a goal up and having two players sent off um, before Tottenham. Uh, turned it around got a 2-1 victory. So asked about Bale, avoided talking about the deal itself, talked about how he'd wanted to sign Bale in the past and that it was no secret and he'd made attempts to do it and how he tried to bring him to Real Madrid um, and that uh, Florentino Perez acted on his advice to take him and signed him um, the summer he actually left Madrid. But if, when he was asked about Bale Uh, or a major transfer changing the atmosphere around the squad. The phrase he used was, a squad is a puzzle, a squad is a puzzle, and when a new signing completes the puzzle, it's great for the team. Now, you can read that as Gareth Bale, that would be great, it completes the puzzle, or you could read that as we have a puzzle, and when a new signing completes the puzzle, it's great for the team. And Gareth Bale given what I've said, given what you've said about the balance of the squad, it's pretty clear that Gareth Bale can't be completing any puzzle for Tottenham because they haven't solved the positions which Mourinho had identified as priorities in this window. So he wants, and he's on record as talking about wanting another striker, someone who can deputise for Harry Kane, as required, and so they don't have the problem they had last season where they lost them in January and lost all their momentum. Um, And also someone who can play alongside Harry Kane. So he's saying, I don't just want a backup, I want a player who can um, operate beside him. Secondly, he wants a centre-back to improve uh, the defence. Neither of those have been identified, neither of those have come in. It's going to be very interesting to see if Daniel Levy, having provided Mourinho with um, Gareth Bale and provided him with Sergio Regulon, And let's emphasise here, these were Daniel Levy deals. Daniel Levy's decision to bring the player in, Daniel Levy move to um, get the players in the squad. Jose Mourinho likes both of the players. He rates both of the players, but these were not transfers that were driven by Mourinho. Um, let's see whether those additional positions, which the manager has identified as being necessary to rebalance the squad, are filled in the remaining few weeks of this transfer window, or whether Daniel Levy thinks, I've provided bail, I've provided a top Spanish uh fullback, and that will do us um, to satisfy the fans, to satisfy sponsors in terms of increased commercial value and so on.
1: I wonder, Duncan, if we might see Gareth Bale playing at centre-back at some point um, when he's (laughs) finally fit. He probably couldn't be any worse than Eric Dyer's been in the start of the season, so that would certainly be something. Uh, Also, given his lack of uh, match sharpness and fitness, perhaps playing centre-back would be a nice, easy way to sort of... uh, you know, get him into the team and, and see if he can improve his fitness. So it's a bit of a conundrum, that's for sure, in terms of Spurs. Um, as you've pointed out, you know, Mourinho is a, an incredibly uh, self-possessed and forensic um, analyst in terms of uh, looking at the performance data, looking at the stats of each of his players, Obviously, he's a football man, so he sees it in his own eyes anyway. He doesn't need to see spreadsheets telling him uh, where they are deficient. So when he points out the positions that he's strengthened, you would think that the people who are doing the buying would take note. Uh, I just wonder, you know, I have that image in my head of uh, when Mourinho was at Manchester United uh, in a uh, news conference and someone questioned him on uh the club's forum and he said respect 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 and I just wonder if there's been a conversation in Daniel Levy's office similar to that um when uh Josie pointed out that he's not been uh given the players and the positions that he actually requested as opposed to a fifth left back and a 31 year old golfer who possibly uh would be preferred to play the US Open this week rather than playing at uh the Tottenham uh, stadium. I'd
0: look, at, I think Bale is motivated to play this. As we said uh, on Tuesday, he has made the decision to play football again. He wants to play in Euro um, 2020, which will happen in the summer of 2021. Um, so you, you do have that plus with Bale. That this is this has come from him. You're not uh, you're not taking a player uh, against his will as would have been the case uh, a year ago. Um, what you do have a question mark is over fitness. Um, you have to hope that this, this long enforced layoff he's had from the, the coach at Real Madrid has allowed his body to recover to stage where he will be able to put a full season of Premier League football in. Um, you know, there are a couple of other elements that should be mentioned here. And, and one is the the suggestion that Deli Alley um, would leave Tottenham as part of the deal, obviously that hasn't happened but Tottenham did offer Deli Ali to Real Madrid um, to try and waylay some of the transfer fee on Regulon, which tells you that Ali's status at Tottenham is compromised at present and certainly bringing Gareth Bale in is not going to help that because Bale will compete in one of the positions in the field that Deli is used to playing in. And the other one's the structure of the Regulon deal, in that there is a buyback option for Real Madrid. Um, I understand that buyback option is 40 million euros. It's been reported as 45 million euros, but the information I have is 40 million euros. Um, either way, the intention on Real Madrid is to bring the player back in two years' time. Um, they, obviously, they, they have been enforced to sell him or move him out this summer because Zidane doesn't like him and doesn't want to work with him and they have um, two uh, expensive left backs in their squad at present so there wouldn't be room for him to play. From their perspective they get him developed in the Premier League, they have the option to bring him back, Um, they get 30 million to put on their books for financial fair play purposes and for La Liga. Um, uh, accounting purposes and then they will get, uh, they'll they'll pay a degree of interest effectively to Tottenham for those, for having that money on their books for two years and then push money in Tottenham's direction for Tottenham's FFP in two years' time. So this is the kind of deal that's structured with football finance in mind Um, and one that you could say Assuming he does go back to Real Madrid, allows Levy to have him regular on in his squad for essentially nothing for two years. So again, you can see why that's attractive to someone who's very conscious about the finances at Tottenham, particularly in
1: this COVID period. Well, Tottenham will have to remain to be seen if indeed uh, they fit in and, as Mourinho said, complete the puzzle. Uh, Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool have finally decided that it is time to open up uh, their bank accounts and strengthen a squad which, of course, won the Premier League last season. The arrival of Thiago Alcantara from Bayern Munich is, uh, looks like a very good signing, a player who has been um, at the centre of multiple success uh, in Bayern, with Bayern Munich in terms of titles. 29, a four-year contract, which is, you know, interesting at that age. However, he is known to be very fit and not uh, particularly injury-prone. Let's talk about Thiago first, Duncan, because we've also got some news for Liverpool fans on another signing. Uh, Is this a risk for Liverpool, given his age? um, Or do you see him... Because Liverpool are not exactly under... Uh, endowed in terms of central midfielders or indeed even defensive midfielders. They do have a reasonable rotation there as it stands. And uh, I noted that Jurgen Klopp was at pains to point out that uh, the incomings were not significant with regards to any movement out of the club because, of course, Gini Wijnaldum has been heavily linked with a move away with only one year left in his contract.
0: Yeah, um, Ronald Koeman, very keen to get Wijnaldum to Barcelona if they can sort out their finances, but that, that is a big issue and something we'll talk about later in the podcast. Look, Klopp desperately wanted Thiago and This is another one that was his deal, like Timo Werner would have been his deal. It's a player he identified and felt could add to um, a squad that has won Champions League, then Premier League, and you have that concern that a team kind of naturally drops off its standards having, having had that degree of success and having been worked so hard physically through those two years in terms of preparation techniques and expectation on the field, um, you you, do, you did need to have fresh blood in there and that's what Klopp had been working for and he's managed to convince FSG to do it and he's managed to convince Thiago to do it because the, the background to this is that And you mentioned the four-year contract. Why have they given him a four-year contract? Well, he had a year left at Bayern. Bayern wanted to keep the player because he was extremely important to him. Uh, They offered him a three-year deal. He said, no, I want four. They offered him three years plus one with a trigger dependent on appearances. He said, no, you give me four years, I expect that, I deserve it. Bayern agreed to it. Uh, they thought they had the player. They kind of told the local press that they were they were about to announce that Thiago was going to effectively finish his career with them. Um, he said to Bayern, "I've got to talk um, with my wife again um, just to confirm everything." And then he came back and said, you, "You're not going to believe this, but um, I'm sorry. I'm I, I'm not going to take the the four years you offered me and I asked for because I want a new challenge." And I think you can infer that. Why did he want a new challenge? Because Jurgen Klopp had convinced him that he could get him the same or better money at Liverpool and give him the opportunity to play in the, in the Premier League in a team where he had the ability to win a Premier League title and win a Champions League title. Then Bayern said, okay, uh, we don't want to lose you, but if that's your decision, then fine, but you'll have to bring us 30 million euros to get this deal done and, and effectively that's what's happened. Um, it's been structured in a way that there are uh, bonuses dependent on performances, but Bayern have got their 30 million euros that they wanted um, reluctantly to let the player go. Um, I think it's a great upgrade to Liverpool's midfield. I, I think you know, th- there's a reason why Klopp wants him in there. I think Klopp, I think his midfield has been a weakness in terms of creativity. Um, for some time and Thiago gives them that creativity while being able to fit into the the high intensity, very physically demanding fashion in which um, Klopp expects his team to play. I think you'll probably see an adaptation process because pretty much everyone needs that coming into Liverpool's midfield. If Thiago is so good he can go straight in play every game and not make mistakes. And that will be incredibly impressive. But, um, you know, the, the, the fact they've given him a four-year deal shows that sees season being there for the long term and being a, a fundamental part of the development of his, his side. Um, and it, I think it changes the picture a bit for Liverpool um, in that we've been talking in the podcast about Klopp's unhappiness and the need to improve the team. And he's now been allowed to do it Um, and he might get another um, reinforcement in the the attack, as I think you're about to tell us, Ian.
1: Indeed. Um, We did mention this some weeks ago that Watford, after their relegation, um, were looking to uh, offload some players. Uh, One of them, um, they are reluctant to see go, but he has indicated he wants to still play in the Premier League, and that's Ismaili Sar who is their current record signing. And uh, Watford sat down with the player and his representatives and said, OK, here's what we want to do, and this is what we reported before. Uh, why don't you go out and loan for a season, and on the basis that we get promoted straight back to the Premier League, we would prefer that you came back to us and played for us once again in the Premier League. Now, Liverpool have recorded a concrete interest in Saar. They want to take him to Anfield, but they want to buy him outright. They don't want to take him on loan. They don't want to, to see why they should pay a loan fee plus wages for a player they may then lose again uh, at the end of the season. Now, Watford are very clever in their dealings, as we know, in terms of their transfer model. So what they've suggested is Liverpool could take the player on loan for a season, pay a loan fee, pay his wages. However, if they are promoted, then they get the opportunity to bring the player back. And if they want to market him and sell him then, Liverpool are welcome to make a bid. Liverpool instead have suggested, OK, if we take a loan, we get a guaranteed conversion to a permanent signing for a fee that we agree now, this summer. And that way... Uh, everyone's happy in terms of uh, if obviously Watford don't get promoted, then they get the full fee uh, that has been promised by Liverpool. Watford's response to that is, well, we've already said, you're welcome to bid in an open market if we get promoted or not at the end of the season long loan. And this is now the point of disagreement and discussion between the two clubs regarding Sar. Now, Duncan, I know that you've got very good contacts at Watford and you speak to a lot of people there and you're someone who's been quite impressed by Saar. Uh, I mean, it seems to me that uh, in contrast to Alcantara, this is a player for the future and from what I'm hearing from from Melwood, Liverpool see Saar as a short-term backup to obviously uh, the two Current wide players Salah and Mane, who are not going to be dis- displaced anytime soon, but obviously rotation, um, given the amount of games the front three have played in the last three seasons, is going to be key in their defence of the Premier League title this, com- this in this season. But at the same time, if Saar proves to be the player that a lot of people have predicted that he can be, then when the time comes, and no doubt it will. When either Manny or Salah or both decide that they want a new challenge somewhere else, Saar may just well be integrated into the squad stroke team at that point and may be someone who can take over.
0: It's easy to point out that Saar had his best game of the season against Liverpool last year. Scored two goals in that 3-0 victory Watford had over um, Liverpool. And obviously greatly impressed himself upon the, the team then and showed the potential he he had. Now Watford are very guarded about what they paid for SAR. They got pushed a long way down the line to get that deal completed last summer. They'd identified him as a priority signing and uh, they had a lot of money extracted out of them um, to to buy him. So I I understand that the fee they paid was 35 million euros. And uh, my information is the fee that Liverpool are offering is 40 million euros. And obviously the Pozzo family are saying, well, look, this is our top talent. We paid 35 million for them last summer, 40 million, not a chance. Um, we let you have them for just 5 million, which is you know, essentially no profit at all once wages and uh, agents fees, et cetera, are factored in. So there are, I'm told, a long way apart on valuation and that's why they're now discussing this loan fee. The loan fee I'm told will be about 8 to 10 million per season, so substantial money there. Um, It's complicated because Watford have to raise money in this market. Their financial position is not clever. I'm told they have to raise about £75 million in transfer fees. They've already sold Abdullahi Dukuri to Everton, so that's part of that money there. they, as you say, are open to letting Saar be in the Premier League for a season um, for his development and to further raise his value. But they don't want to commit themselves to selling for too low a price. Um, how they get through the next few weeks and whether they can hold fast um, to get the biggest fee possible or commitment for the biggest fee possible from Liverpool is questionable. Um, they're struggling, I'm told, to sell Troy Um, they have interest in Will Hughes, their 25-year-old former England Under-21 international, um, but they don't want to sell Hughes. Uh, I'm told there's interest there from Southampton and Brighton, but he's one of the players they want to keep because he is one of their better players and they, they believe he will operate well in the Championship and have, in fact, offered him a contract extension, which I'm told Hughes is stalling on to see Um, how everything pans out and get the best uh, outcome for himself. So it's complex but Liverpool have shown their hand and um, look it makes sense for them to bring a player in who can deputise for their three lead strikers. Um, We talked in the last podcast about how um, Kylian Mbappe will be available on the market in a year's time and Mbappe has been talking uh, very encouragingly about Liverpool over the past year and is interested. I, I, I thought
1: you were going to say Watford there, Duncan. I was...
0: <laughs> <laughs> he might have done, but I haven't, I haven't heard Watford as one of his chosen clubs. <laughs> but it, it, look, Liverpool have been working for some time in the expectation that they will sell one or more of their top strikers, probably to Spain, probably for big money. Um, when they do, they want to have replacements in place having Sar there for this season, bringing him through, um, having the potential for him to be a replacement if he does well in a year's time and also looking at at other solutions should the the Mbappé thing materialise into something solid for them.
1: Just before we leave the Watford situation, we will uh, note that they also, of course, uh, made some uh, very nice profit on the left back Pervas Estupinian, who they sold to Villarreal this week for 15 million euros. Uh, and the other two players who are certainly on the market, other than Troy Dini, are uh, Danny Welbeck and Andre Gray. So uh, that gives you an idea of the money that Watford are trying to uh, bring to the club to battle the effects of COVID. Watford, one of those clubs who are always in danger of being relegated, and now have been relegated, uh, but are very dependent on match day revenue just to pay the bills. So you can see why the club are trying to secure their long-term future by making sales and ensuring that they have money in the bank, because no one knows, of course, when stadiums will be full again. we move on to Arsenal, a team who seem to be full of confidence uh, after their start to the season and an interest in a very, very talented midfielder at Lyon. And with uh, Torreira seeming to be going uh, on his way out of the club, this could be a good deal for them.
0: Yeah, Hossam IR at Lyon is, is a player that will move to one of the top clubs in Europe um, at some point. 22-year-old, um, many people think he was the better option of that midfield that Lyon had when in Ndombele and him were paired together and, and beating Manchester City last season. Um, Lyon's financial position is not good and they need to sell at least one of their star players in this window and have been looking to do so. Um, Memphis Depay is the one they would prefer to move out Depay only has one year left of contract and there is a a concern that they'll lose him for nothing if they don't manage to sell him this summer. They have been talking with Barcelona. Um, Ronald Koeman wants the player. Um, There was a a lot of information that a deal was in place and Barcelona believed they had the player, but it hasn't been completed and Koeman has now talked saying that uh, He thinks he will have to go into the season with the squad he currently has. So Leon haven't been able to to cash in on Depay. Um, They want, I'm told, to retain Musa Dembele, um, who obviously they see as the replacement in attack for Depay. They kind of switch positions during the season. Dembele had the much higher strike rate, but uh, Depay was preferred by some of the coaches some of the time. which then shifts them, if they can't get the deal for Dubai, to our um, who they would prefer not to sell. But if they have to get money, then there is that interest from Arsenal. They think they can achieve 40 to 50 million euros for the player. Um, it does look like a great opportunity for Arsenal to bring in Uh, an extremely talented midfielder who would, I think, be a significant upgrade on Lucas Torreira, and um, and add to that kind of um, intelligent recruitment that they've done this summer, um, and add to the squad that they're building, which um, you you can understand why there's a confidence growing around Arsenal with Arteta's start in management, um, and uh, and the restructuring of the team and, and recent performances.
1: Arsenal, of course, are a team who have often flattered to, to deceive Duncan. Um, however, uh, as I said, a very optimistic start to this particular campaign. Um, it'll be very, very intriguing to see how it is sustained or not. Um, I'd like to take us, of course, to our old favourite subject, and if, as uh, many of our listeners know, that would be Manchester United. Uh We would like just to bring you some news, an update, on uh, a player, Alex Tellez-Duncan, with regards to interest from Manchester United. But it seems United are still in this kind of process of being a little bit sort of um, tetchy and um, spendthrift with regards to uh, wanting to meet fees that are being quoted to them.
0: Yeah, look, we told you some time ago, Manchester United are in the market for a left-back. Um, Therefore, they've had left backs offered to them. A couple of weeks ago, we said that that one of the left backs offered to them was Alex Tellez, who Porto need to sell, want to sell um, and who wants to move elsewhere. He has Pini Zahavi representing him. At the time, Porto were asking 25 million euros for the player. Told that price has now come down to 20 million euros. Um, But I'm also told that Manchester United have indicated to Porto that they're not prepared to pay 20 million euros for Alex Teles. They were obviously offered Regulon. They didn't do that deal. Um, I don't think it's surprising that they would avoid a deal which Madrid wanted to have the buyback clause in it, So we explained earlier in this podcast. When we first talked about them adding a left back, um, we did say that they wanted a younger player who would develop at Manchester United would be ready to play first team football as necessary. Um, but not to come straight in and be a direct replacement for Luke Shaw. (coughs) They'll have a lot of faith in Luke Shaw. Um, so to, to kind of pair the two together in the position and, and as we said, move Brandon Williams over to be deputy right back, uh, to Aaron Wan-Bissaka, um, and sell Jogo Dalot. So, um, I think that's where you should expect the primary focus to be. Uh, Jadon Sancho is the number one choice. They believe they have a deal in place. They remain confident that they will get that through with Borussia Dortmund. It's going to be an expensive deal. Therefore, um, if you're improving at left back and on the left side of central defence, another area where they want to add, uh, you look to cheaper deals in those positions rather than experienced relatively expensive players in terms of salary like Alex Tellis.
1: It's um, a bit of a conundrum again, that left-back position at Manchester United. Obviously got Brandon Williams who's come through in, uh, last season. Um, I seem to remember them trying this experiment about bringing in a young left-back to develop into the real left-back with a certain Luke Shaw. Um, <laughs> how did that go for you? Uh, Manchester United Um, you said they've still got a lot of faith in them well that's fair enough Duncan I take your word for that but given United's defensive frailties uh, right across the pitch well I suppose we could excuse Juan Bissaka from that because he did have a good season Um, then perhaps uh, yeah it would be a good idea to bring someone in who can at least add competition Uh, rather than just
0: Luke Shaw has certainly developed
1: into a bigger left back We shall move on to a Portuguese angle uh, on today's Transfer Window podcast because we want, as I said, to round up some other news um, for you guys. And one of the most impressive performers in last season's Premier League Duncan, uh, well, and one of the most impressive teams at Wolves, was Diogo Jota. Now, you have news for us that perhaps all is not well between Jota and his manager, you know Espirito Santo?
0: Yeah, um, Jota, has 44 goals and 131 Wolves appearances, um, recently became a Portugal international, scored for the national team. He's still just 23. He has been on that list of of players that um, Wolves have brought in from Portugal and developed into serious performers in the Premier League. Um, He was left out of uh, Wolves' Uh, League Cup tie, uh, League Cup defeat to Stoke City last night, Um, Nuno was asked about uh, why he wasn't playing in the game and quite tetchy in his responses, Um, saying him and Max uh, Kielman were not available for this game, we have a small squad, all of the options are good but today they were not available for the game. Uh, these are decisions that we have to make. We have to know what the moment of the season is. It was a quick turnaround, but we have to take care of the players. And then asked whether Jota would be involved against Manchester City. said, I don't know. We have to see. He was not on the squad list, period. Uh, trying to shut down that line of questioning. What I understand is that Jota is not happy with um, the game time he's been having at Wolves recently with a change of strategic setup there um with uh, you've seen the change in attack um, with Pedro Neto coming in and doing it has to be said very well. Um, obviously we had a scenario where wolves were prepared to sell two more of their attackers, Adama traori and Raul Jimenez this summer and hoping for extremely substantial transfer fees for those two um, in Adama traori's case with with strong interest from Manchester City they thought, they were pricing him at 150 million euros and thought they could get over 100 million euros pre-Covid. Um, obviously, if Traore and Jimenez had been sold as per plan, it would be much easier for Jota to be part of the team. Um, Wolves have since signed Fabio Silva for 40 million euros from Porto, so they've added another striker um, to the squad and expect are at least indicating that Jimenez will play through the season with them because they don't think they're going to get the money they wanted from one of his suitors which includes expressions of interest from Manchester United and Juventus. Juventus have just signed Enzeco as a replacement for Gonzalo Higuain um, which again, representative of the financial difficulties we've talked about in this podcast. So there is a problem for Nuno to solve there and there's a problem for Wolves to solve there. Um, And there's potentially quite a valuable, talented player on the market should one of his admirers decide to take advantage of that situation and put a good, strong offer to Wolves in the last weeks of this window.
1: And further into that financial difficulty that football is facing, one of Portugal's uh, elite clubs, Benfica, are being forced into a bit of a fire seal there, best players as well, Duncan. And if you can flag those uh, up to us, I think uh, we might be hearing more about them in the coming uh, 16 days of the transfer when they're being open uh, with links to English clubs.
0: Yeah, we told you that um, Jorge Jesus was unhappy with his forwards um, and had pushed Porto to sign Darwin Nunez, um, a player who Brighton and other Premier League cl- clubs were very keen on. Um, we told you at the time it was because Jesus didn't like Vinicius Junior, um, the top scorer from last season, and Harris Seferovic. Um, they're two uh, two big strikers that they have and, and used in, in last season's campaign. Those two have been on sale for some time. Interestingly, I think Jose Mourinho quite likes Seferovic and, and saw him as a potential option uh, to bring in alongside Harry Kane. But uh, Benfica asking quite a high price um, for Seferovic, I think 20 to 25 million euros for the player. They haven't been able to sell Vinicius who was one they expected pre-COVID to have a good market for um, this summer and they've therefore made um, two uh, players further back in the team, Mark Florentino, midfielder, and Ferro, um, defender, who are our uh, Portuguese CIA correspondent, um, Sergio Crachinas, flagged up as a major talent, I think, on his last appearance on the, on the Transfer Window podcast. They made both of those players available for sale to try and get cash from a transfer fee and um, the wage bill reduced. I'm told there is interest in Florentino from Fulham um, and Leeds United. I think, uh, according to Benfica, an offer was made by Fulham for Florentino, but it was a very low level offer of 3 million euros, um, loan fee with 28 million euros as an option to buy. That kind of fits Fulham's strategy for this window They, I'm told they do have money to spend. Um, and they think they can take advantage of COVID to pick up a, you know, a, a one or two quality players at the tail end of the market who um, clubs need to sell and who there isn't uh, finance available from other clubs to, to sign. Players who probably would have gone to teams higher in the Premier League or elsewhere in Europe in a normal market. But because Fulham have cash from their promotion available, they might be able to... Um, pick up that player in this window and they're they're waiting to see if the right opportunity comes I'm told that they are out uh, as far as Florentino goes um, because the price is too high with, with Benfica asking 45 million euros
1: Remember those names people because you heard them here first as always on the Transfer Window Podcast we're going to end the pod today with, of course, the infamous Donkey Award, or should we say the famous Donkey Award? Because it seems to be gaining popularity amongst the football fraternity. Uh, people have been getting in touch, saying, "When am I going to get nominated?" Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Uh, we can only tell you that you have to earn these nominations; they just don't come uh, falling off the Donkey Tree. Uh, this week, inspired by the news that. Uh, Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy sent his own plane to uh, pick up Gareth Bale and Sergio Rouguillon from Madrid and bring them to London Luton Airport um, uh, in order for those players to have their medicals and indeed, of course, finalise their contracts. Um, I, for one, was very impressed that a chairman who's not the owner of the club possesses his own jet, and it was a very plush jet, it has to be said as well. So today's donkey um, is going to be the Daniel Levy things that people have that they shouldn't because they're too expensive. Um, it reminded me, Duncan, of that old that that you know the old uh, anecdote that managers say when um, they want to get rid of a player in their squad, um, and they've made that clear. And then what they say is, well. If we get an offer, I'll drive him to the airport myself. And this is the opposite. Daniel Levy's flown them from the airport (laughs) back to to London. Sensational. Um, I'm also pleased to say that uh, I'm going to open up the, uh, of course, the golden envelope, which you're all familiar with. Here we go. There we are. Oh, Duncan. This is quite something possibly for the first time ever in the award, we have three nominations, all related to the same club. And it is a Manchester United special. Fantastic. So, here we go, Duncan. Listen carefully. First in the nomination of someone in football who has something they shouldn't have are the Glazers family, should they have Manchester United? Well, there's a lot of Manchester United fans who would agree that they shouldn't have it. So, uh, And obviously Manchester United is also very expensive, a bit like Daniel Levy's playing. Uh, second on the list, Manchester United. Should they have Paul Pogba? He's very expensive too, uh, but is he worth it? That is the question. And third in the nomination, I think this is a multiple nomination, I think this is called the Slam Dunkey, is that correct? Duncan, (laughs) is is Ed Woodward, who perhaps is in charge, who is in charge of Manchester United effectively, a very expensive toy to have uh, for someone who can't afford it. Um, So, Duncan, I'm going to leave it to you to uh, choose the recipient of this week's Dunkey Award for Daniel Levy having something very expensive that perhaps he shouldn't. Uh, look, I'll, very strong nominations. Paul Pogba certainly would
0: fit in that category. And you have to say that this season where um, he hasn't been able to get that move away from Old Trafford that he and uh, the pizza man have been angling for for some time now is going to be one where we find out whether um, Manchester United owning Paul Pogba was Uh, signing something expensive that they should have left alone because if he doesn't do it this season with the midfield that's been built around him with Bruno Fernandes there and Donny van de Beek, Nemanja Matic retained, then I I think we have the answer. Um, He was too expensive and and they should have stayed well away. Ed Woodward um, would be a a, a simple choice here. Um, He has control of something very expensive And I think you can see from his track record since he became the chief executive of Manchester United that he should not have had that power bestowed upon him and shouldn't have that power um, in his hands at present. But when you're talking Manchester United and expensive things they shouldn't have and the Glazers are a candidate, um, I I think it's an easy win. It has to be the Glazers. Um, You can understand the distress of Manchester United fans, um, you know, the, 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 the hundreds of millions that has been taken out of the club, the director's fees that come out, the dividends that come out. There's a recent table drawn up of, of Premier League clubs financing over the last five years um, and owner financing. Um, at the top of it, Chelsea um, soft loans from Roman Abramovich of £440 million. You go all the way down to the bottom, Manchester United. Uh, money put in by the owners, zero. Money taken out over that five-year period, £89 million. Um, and I, I think it, it's a clear slam-dunky for the, the
1: Glazers this week. They, they could have bought Paul Pog with that £89 million. Oh, they did! <laughs> Except they didn't put their hand in their pocket. Very good, Duncan, Uh, a very worthy winner there. Please um, let us know if you think the Glazers deserve this week's donkey. And of course, if you want to continue the debate uh, after the podcast, then please do. Uh, You know that we like to engage with you and we love your comments. And indeed, uh, we're very happy to uh, respond and reply uh, to them. Uh, Obviously, uh, we are available on all your usual podcast platforms. And also on our YouTube channel, uh, which uh, you just search Transfer Window Podcast. As far as uh, what you've heard today, we hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, then please give something back and do so uh, by logging onto iTunes and giving us a five star review. And as far as, of course, continuing the debate, do so on our social media channels, which are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram and on Facebook. Duncan is at Duncan Castles, as ever, and I am at Garbo SJ. That's the Transfer Window Podcasts for this particular week. Of course, we have 16 days left in this exciting window when things are hotting up. Have a good weekend, everyone. Until we speak again next week, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.